0: This is new, so a lot of things have changed. There's a lot of, I come back and, and there's a new parking lot, praise God. Uh, there's new microphones and, and I have a new baby and uh, I, I haven't been here since I was in my 20s. It's been that long, so... Man, it's been a very, very eventful month, uh, not only in my life, but in, in the life of our body. People got married, other people are having babies. Praise the Lord. God is so, so good. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the prayers, all the support, all the encouraging words. Uh, man, you guys have just been checking in on us, and I just cannot, cannot thank you enough. My wife is not here today with my children and my new son Haddon because they brought home from Oahu not just a baby but germs, all right? So uh, we did not want to spread those to you guys uh, because we do love you. So Lord willing, uh, be praying. Um, Almost all of our children and family are sick, including the new one, um, but they're getting over it, just a cold. So hopefully, Lord willing, they will be here next year and next week. <laughs> My brain is still adjusting, all right? <laughs> so uh, don't hold it against me if I say things. Uh, be gracious, please. Um, your testimony while I was gone, we had a group of three pastors uh, from Emmanuel Baptist Church visit. Your testimony while I was gone was uh, phenomenal. So thank you for your hospitality, for representing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ well. To those uh, who are his servants. And so I just wanna thank you. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to ease into the text this morning. We're gonna jump right, right, literally into the thick of John chapter 6. John 6, I cannot emphasize enough how important this chapter is in the Gospel of John. I had actually hoped to enter it a little bit differently than we're going to, um, but the Lord knew his plans, and so I pray he will bless it. John 6 is the longest chapter in the Gospel of John, 71 verses, 71. It is not only the longest chapter in the Gospel of John, it is the longest chapter, longest section in the New Testament, in the whole of the New Testament. It is very, very important. If you remember, uh, as we were walking through the prologue of John, there, some theologians had said that John is shallow enough for a child to play in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. You remember, this is one of those passages that will launch off into the deep end of the pool for elephants to swim in, all right? So we are all going to be elephants this morning. And I am just giving you fair warning. uh, if, If I do this passage right... If I explain the words of Christ right, then this will be a hard saying. That's exactly what he said at the end, right? The disciples, the disciples, the followers of Jesus said this is a hard teaching, and many of them left afterwards. So I'll see all of you, or I won't see any of you except for 12 of you here next Sunday. But I give you fair warning, this will be a challenging passage uh, not in the sense of hellfire brimstone, although there's going to be a little bit of that, but in the sense of just put your thinking caps on, all right? We're, we're going to work. We're going to get straight to work. Um, truly, in order to ga- grasp the, the chapter, the message, the, the thrust of this, or the gospel for that matter, you have to set it against the backdrop of Exodus. Verse 1 of chapter 6 tells us that it was the time of Passover, the Passover feast was at hand. This has to be set in the backdrop of the Exodus. Many of you may have seen the, the recent Hollywood version of Exodus with, uh, was it Christian, Christian Bale? Right? Batman as Moses. Okay? And, and you see the great the plagues and the, bar, the parting of the Red Sea. Okay? You have to see it against that backdrop. And, of course, not the Hollywood inaccuracies, but... That is the, the scenario, the things that are on the minds of the hearers of this as Jesus is speaking about the manna from heaven, the true bread from heaven, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. You see, they would have been firing off in their minds the Passover meal the lamb that was to be slain the night of the, the death of the firstborn and that they had to sacrifice this lamb, each family, and apply its blood. Just think about this, all right? This is, this is gory, all right? You just slit the throat of this lamb and dip its blood on the lentils of the doorposts and then they had to eat, eat it. They had to roast it and eat it and let none of it remain. So as he's saying... Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, if you do not do this, you have no part in me. These are the things that are coming on their minds, and they're grasping it. They're recognizing that he is a true prophet. The feeding of the 5,000, just like Moses called down manna from heaven, they are seeing all of these things. And what is the, the main thrust that John wants us to get this morning? Jesus is the true manna. Jesus is the true bread of life, the true prophet who was to come, the greater Moses and the final Passover. Or in other words, Jesus is our all-sufficient and all-satisfying Savior. That's the main thrust of this passage. Jesus is the greater Moses leading a greater Exodus of people composed of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue, And he's leading them out of not physical slavery, but spiritual bondage, out of sin and death, into life, into the promised land, so to speak. The new heavens and the new earth. This is the message of this gospel. So, as you can see, there's a ton here, a ton Ton here. There will be much, much left unsaid this morning. We're going to zoom in on that big section into verses 35 to 44 specifically, and we're going to talk about our inability and enabling grace. About our inability and enabling grace. So, I'm going to do a little test right now, and I'm going to tell a joke. You guys are like, what? A joke? Seriously, I want to hear the word of God. Yes, I'm going to tell a joke. You'll see why. I'm going to tell a joke, and the people who laugh at this and get this will tell me who is familiar with the concepts that we're going to be speaking about this morning. The ones who don't really get it, who kind of do the ha, ha, I don't get it. Okay, that ones who do that will tell me who this is new for. So one of my favorite uh, nerdy theologian pickup lines i give this to you, so single guys, take note. My favorite nerdy theologian pickup lines is, girl, your name must be Grace, because you're irresistible. Only a few, only a few, all right? So this is telling me, my audience, right, that is an inside theological joke. Some of you get it, some of you do not. We will be talking about uh, Enable uh, ineffective, effectual grace, or what some have called irresistible grace, but that can be kind of confusing. So let's pray, and I pray you will all be very familiar with it by the time we leave. Father, may your name be honored this morning at Kahalui Baptist Church and across Maui. May your glory, your strength, your grace, your kindness. May it be exalted in Christ, and may you use, Lord, as we sing. Lord, may I live and preach in such a way that all may see the strength to follow your commands would never come from me or within themselves. Lord, may we cast ourselves wholly at your feet, and may you do the mighty gospel work of regenerating spirits and drawing them to faith in Christ this morning. Would you strengthen your saints who are weary who are tired, who are struggling. And would you embolden your church to proclaim your gospel to your people? In Jesus' name, amen. You remember the moment that you became a Christian, the first time that you can think of when when you stepped out of darkness into light, when whatever it was, it might have been at a Sunday service, it might have been at a camp, wherever you were, it might have been in somebody's house, in your living room, where you remember, for some of you, that time that it just all clicked. That you said yes. Or maybe for some of you, it's more of a season. You don't have a a pinpointed time, but you just know, once I was blind, but now I see. But you remember that time when when you realized that you were a sinner, that you needed a Savior, and that Jesus was the only hope you had. You remember that time? I'm going to ask you, what was it, what was it that made you realize that you needed Jesus? What was it? In that moment, what what was it that brought it all together for you? That's what we're going to speak about this morning. For some people, this has caused a lot of unnecessary fear. They despise this doctrine, but I hope that you will see that this is a doctrine not to be feared or rejected, but to be prized and treasured because your assurance of salvation, your final perseverance, your eternal security rests in this. And this doctrine of God's grace that is effectual. So, before we get into that, we need to lay some backdrop. I need to give you some backdrop to this passage. It's been a while while since I've been here with you. So let's first talk about our inability, right? Inability and enabling grace. Let's talk about our total inability. So Keone preached. Keone Cadman. he's doing nursery right now, watching our children. Such a servant right now. Uh, Keone, he's getting to experience firsthand total depravity, all right? He's getting to see our children's little hearts fighting and taking toys. Mine, all right? Just unfiltered depravity in the nursery happening right now, okay? So he's there serving and seeing this and applying. He preached on John 3, as I requested him to do, on pervasive darkness and precious grace. He did a great job. The passage he went over highlights our inability. I could give you many, 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 but for time's sake, I'm going to give you John 3 straight from this gospel, same context. John 3, 19 through 20. And this is the judgment, right? This is verse 19. This is after within earshot of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that famous passage. This is a few verses later. So that's the context that we're talking about here. And Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You see that? They hate the light. Our natural state is a state of hatred toward the light. We do not come to the light. Why? Because there's something wrong with our hearts. What do we love? Darkness. That's what we love. That's our natural state. Jesus says again in John 8, 34, same gospel. I'm trying to stay in the same, same context here. John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. You practice sin, you're a slave of sin. And what does he tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3? You remember, unless a man is born again, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we spoke and I taught on John 3 about the necessity to be regenerated, to be born again, to even enter and or see the kingdom of God. What is the message of the Scriptures, beloved? We are radically sinful. You know this. You know this about your own heart. You look in your heart and you will see darkness. Were it not for the grace of God. We are radically depraved. That is to say that sin has infected, it has tainted, it has uh, affected every portion of our being. That's what I mean. So, however you want to dice the body, body, soul, spirit, whatever you want to say, sin has infected it. It has fe- infected the mind. It has infected the will. It has infected the heart, the desires. There is no part of you, even your very physical body, breaking down. You're sick. You have knee problems. You, all these things. It's a result of the curse of sin. It has infected everything. Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 2, he says, and you were dead, in your trespasses and sins. You're dead. Your spirit is dead. Do you realize if you're here and you're a visitor or, or even one of my church members, I don't know, but if you're here and you are not a follower of Jesus, if you do not love Jesus, if you do not have faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are dead. You're sitting here as a dead man or a dead woman, and you will face eternal death under the wrath of God. It's an awful reality. As Ephesians tells us, we were dead. Now, what does that mean? Total inability. This is what this means. Notions like, here's where it gets hard. You ready? You're like, it's not hard yet. Yeah, it gets harder. Because this is going to grind against everything you've, you feel naturally. It's going to grind against you. It's going to grind against your pride. That means notions like free will are just not biblical. It's not biblical. Your will is not free, if you believe what the Bible says. Your will, what do you mean, Pastor Randy? Of course I'm free. What, am I a robot? Is that what you're saying, Pastor Randy? Am I a robot? No. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying your will is bound by your nature, and your nature is evil apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. You are not free to do good. Your will is a bondaged will. You love darkness. It is a slave to sin. Now, what do I mean that your will is bound by your nature? This is what I mean. I mean you are free to do that which is consistent with your nature. I'll say that again. It means you are only free insofar as you can do that which is consistent with your nature. Let me give you an example. This may help. These may not help. Don't press them too far. Say you go, you live here or you're visiting here, and you are free to go where as you please. See all of Maui. Go up to Haleakala. Perhaps you go up to Haleakala, 10,000 feet. You find a cliff, a big cliff. You say, man, I'm free. I've come all the way up here. I want to get a bird's eye view. I get a bird's eye view of Maui, so I'm going to jump off that cliff and I'm going to fly like a bird. And you can sing R. Kelly's song, "I Believe I Can Fly," all the way until you hit the ground. All right. Because you are not free, you are only free to do what is consistent with your nature as a man or a woman. And you are not a bird; it is not in your nature to fly. So you may go wherever you please, but you may not fly like a bird, because that is not consistent with your makeup. You see. In like manner, you could uh, say to the ocean, "I want to go into the ocean and I want to see the fish." And you're going to have a snorkel mask, or you're going to put on a breathing apparatus to help you to breathe underwater, because you are not Aquaman. Or Ariel, the little mermaid. You are not. You are not free to go. You are only free to do that which is consistent with your nature. And it is your nature to love darkness spiritually. You are not free to do good works that are pleasing to God with a spirit that is bondaged and dead in sin. You can't do it. This was the arrogance of the Jews when they responded to Jesus, what must we be doing to do the works of God? Tell us and we'll do it. And Jesus' point is that you can't. But in their pride, in their arrogance, they assumed, if you just tell me what to do, I can do it, Jesus. Some of us are like this this morning. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. You will. You will. Is a slave. You are a lover of darkness. This led St. Augustine to proclaim without his calling, without his, that's what he meant, his divine effectual calling of sinners. Without his calling, we cannot even will. Without his calling, we cannot even will. So what does that have to do with our text and our earlier question as to what made you believe? Remember that moment I told you to call to mind. What does this have to do with that? Let's keep going. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and here it is, right? So he's gonna explain something now. Verse 36, you have seen me and yet do not believe verse 37 All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out The Jews the Jews called disciples here were not true followers of Christ but here they are engaging with Jesus he's shown them signs he's told them who he is his his identity they've seen it they've heard it they've even followed him across the sea and yet, they do not believe. And Jesus says, verse 37, what does it mean, though? Right, he says, verse 37, what, what did that mean? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And he who comes, I will never cast out. What does that mean as a response, as a reason to why they don't believe? You see, he's giving a, an explanation to them as far as why don't they believe. Let's look at verse 44. So if verse 37 was in a positive light, uh, this is all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. If you go to verse 44 on the screen, and it says it in a negative sense, it negates what he says in the same thing. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, no one can come. Inability. No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me does something, draws him. And then Jesus says, and I will raise him up on the last day. So verse 35 and 36, because you may sit there and say, well, this says coming to Jesus, not, not believing in Jesus, but 35 and 36 actually equate coming to Jesus with believing in Jesus. And he says, no one can come to me. Nobody can believe in me. Why don't you believe in me? Because you can't come unless you're drawn by my Father. He says, no one can come. Is it because they're not invited? No. He invites them all. It's not because they're not invited that they can't come. Why can't they come? It's because they are unable, beloved. We lack, we lack the ability to break the chains, our own chains of darkness. He sums it up again. In verse 64. So just know all this, he's just wrapping this whole section. Verse 64 There are some of you who do not believe. So again, his explanation. There are some of you here to his disciples who do not believe. And he says, 65 And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You see, inability, inability inability. Now, this would be a great opportunity for Jesus to do what we often hear in Christian circles and and small group Bible studies and Sunday school classes and and everywhere that you find discussions. This would be a great time for Jesus to do what, what we often do when somebody asks, and you've had this question before, I've had this question before, it is a fair question. How come one person believes and another doesn't? It's a fair question. It's a good question. I imagine that you were like me and I was with a bunch of my friends when I heard the gospel. Why did I respond and not them? Or my family? Why? To which somebody will normally reply, well, God gave everyone a free will. It's up to them. They have the free will. This would be a great time for Jesus to say that, wouldn't it? That's not what he says, is it? What does he say? You can't come unless you're drawn by my father. It's not about your will, it's about his. Your will is not ultimate and decisive. His is. His is. Now, this is a hard saying. It's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Kind of hard. Kind of rubs against us a little bit. The disciples received it as hard. They received the whole package as hard. The reality of where Jesus came from, bread from heaven, reality that he would die, a crucified Messiah, the reality that they are totally unable to do that which is pleasing to God on their own, all of it is a hard package to swallow. And Jesus, relentless over and over, he doesn't say, oh, I see this is offending you. Let me back off a little bit. No, he just relentless drives it in. You cannot come. You cannot come. You cannot come unless it is granted to you by my Father. And he's going to bring this back up in chapters 8 and chapters 10, 11, and on and on. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying you need grace. You need to be granted something by my Father. You need grace that is enabling that is effectual, and that is able to overcome your hard heart to grant you a new will, a new heart, and new eyes to see. That's what you need. This is just, it's not just repeating what he said to Nicodemus. You need to be born again. You need a new nature. Now, somebody may well argue and say, well, God gives this grace to everyone. Well, God just gives this grace to everybody. He draws all men. And it's up to you to use your will to then repent or believe or reject him. No, that's not what he says either. God doesn't grant this effectual grace to all people without exception. It is only for those who have been given to the Son from the Father. Now, how do we know that? How do we know it's not for all people everywhere? How do we know that? John uh, John 6, 44, go here. Jesus says this, that all who are drawn in this manner, this is how we know that this drawing, this grace isn't given to all people. Verse 44, if you can put that back up there for me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And that's where people will say, you might try and say, no, well, he draws all people. No, 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 this is why. See that next word, what is it? And. And it is a connection. You cannot have one without the other. And I will raise him who? Those who are drawn. I'm going to raise those who are drawn up on the last day. So we can't say from this passage contextually that that goes to all people because he says those who are drawn like who are given by the Father will be raised up at the last day. You see, that would mean we would say that all people without exception are saved because everybody who's drawn like this everybody who's drawn effectually gets raised up at the last day so to accept the interpretation that says god draws everybody in this way would mean all would be saved and we reject this as unbiblical what is true here then so wow, wow pastor oh my goodness welcome home what is true here then What's true here is that God is a mighty God who loves, loves his Son and has granted his Son a people who by grace are saved through faith with absolute certainty. Absolute certainty. Jesus says he will save his people. The bread I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Or we could add with John Calvin, quote, the blood of Christ is not only the pledge of our salvation, but also the cause of our calling. The blood of Christ, his sacrifice, is not only the pledge of our salvation, but also the cause of our calling. We all know a lot about grace here. We sing about it. Grace, grace, God's grace. What does it mean? You say unmerited favor. Yes, unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. And you can't claim to have it. So, yes, it is unmerited favor. But what does it do? Oh, beloved, this is where we start to plumb the depths of God's mercy and kindness towards us. What does it do? What a wonderful question that is. Here's what God's grace does. Part of what God's grace does God's grace works. It works. It works in his timing to overcome, to decisively overcome your hardened heart and draw you to faith in Christ. This is why it's called effectual grace, or as some have called it, irresistible Doesn't mean that we don't always or ever resist the promptings of the Spirit. What it means is when God says, let there be light, there's light. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has caused the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ to shine in our hearts. So, going back to that scenario, what made you a believer? Why did you choose to come to Christ at that moment? The answer, the sheer grace of God. The sheer, matchless grace of God. That's why. It's not because I was just exercised my free will, because I was smarter than the person next to me, or because I was more intelligent, or any of those things the sheer grace of God that opened your eyes to see. Now, what is some application in closing? Let's give a few points of application and talk about that. What's some application? Why does this matter? Is this just a theological exercise to talk about the will? No, 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 no. If that's all it is, we haven't completed our homework. Why does it matter? Number one, it breeds humility. It breeds Humility. Because you can't look and say, well, it's just because of how great I am. Look at what I did. I chose to say yes, and you chose to say no. No, 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 no. It breeds humility. Verse 12 and 13 of the first chapter of John. But to all who did receive him, check that out, you received him, you received him. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God verse 13. Here it is. Who were born not of blood, lineage, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of who? God. God is the active agent of our salvation from start to finish. You are saved by the sheer grace of God. Now, you may ask, You may ask, and rightfully so, what about the other person? Is God not gracious with them? That doesn't seem fair. Well, I would encourage you one, you shouldn't assume that He won't be. You shouldn't assume that He won't be. Perhaps the Lord has other purposes for them at a different time. You should assume, you should assume that if you were saved by grace through faith, that you are a vessel of mercy. And that the Lord aims to use you to open the eyes of that person through the proclamation of the gospel. You should assume that. You shouldn't assume he won't be merciful to them. So it breeds humility. We could say a lot more about that. It breeds hope. It breeds hope. How does it breed hope, Pastor? Because God's grace is mediated to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that grace, it breeds hope because it can overcome even the hardest of sinners. Even the most vilest of men and women, God's grace can conquer and overcome. When he says, let there be light, there is light. When he draws men and women for the Father, they will come. Let that build your hope. Let that stoke the fires of hope for your unbelieving family and friends that for years you're like, they're never going to come. They're so far away. seems impossible. Let this doctrine of God's effectual grace bring you hope. Remember Saul, Saul of Tarsus, on his Damascus road to go and arrest and imprison Christians, and in an instant, on his face, before the Lord Jesus Christ, changed forever. Can God do that today? Has he done that today? Yes and amen. Let that give you hope. Boldness. This doctrine of God's grace breeds boldness and has throughout the history of the church. It gives you boldness as you proclaim the gospel. If you know the gospel that you are going to proclaim, that God's word never returns void, that he uses it to draw men and women effectually, then you know that as you speak and preach, God is active and he is working. You have no reason to fear. Be bold. Proclaim. You say, they may revile me. They may look down on me. They may mock me or make fun of me or reject me. Beloved, God's grace through the gospel is effectual. This is how it worked in Paul, Acts 18.10. Hear here how Paul or how Luke records uh, this happening in Paul's life. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. This is the Lord speaking to Paul in a vision in Corinth. Do not be afraid. But go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and nobody will attack you to harm you. And then what does he say? For I have many in this city who are my people. You see that? God is strengthening Paul with this very doctrine that I have many people. We haven't even been here with the gospel yet, but God's saying, I have many people in this city. Don't be afraid. I'm going to call them through the preaching of the gospel. Beloved, it makes us bold. Bold in the gospel. It breeds assurance of your salvation. What a precious phrase that last portion is of verse 44. And I will raise him up on the last day. And I will raise him up on the last day. See, The God that began a good work in you, the God who brought you to faith in Christ, beloved, will bring it to completion. He will. Or he says it a little bit differently. I love this in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out you ever just like sinned and, and you keep sinning and, and you're struggling with your sin and you hate it, you don't want to do it, but you keep doing it and you start to wonder, does God even love me? Am I even a believer? And those are actually somewhat healthy thoughts to think if you are in sin, if it drives you away. However, these should comfort you at the same time, beloved. Whoever comes to me, will Christ accept me back? Will he? I will never, never cast out. It breeds assurance. By His grace, Romans 8 says, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, of His very Son. So rest assured, weary saint, God will raise you up. And finally, there is an invitation here. There is an invitation, a wonderful Wonderful invitation here. You may hear this sermon and wonder, well, if I come, how will I know that I'm joined by the Father? How do I know that I've been given from the Father to the Son? How will I know? Will I even be accepted? And this is the wonderful invitation. All that the Father gives me will come. And whoever comes, whoever comes... I will never cast out. So don't ask, am I being drawn by the Father? Don't ask, am I part of those people given from the Father to the Son? Don't ask that. Come to Christ this morning. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't say, I'll do it next week when I get my life in order. Come today and you will know you will never be cast out. Whatever wrongs you've done, whatever lies you've told, if you lay it down, And come to Christ. This promise is yours today. We'll close with the lines of a hymn. You all know it. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace that has overcome our hardened hearts. Thank you that in Christ we are new creatures with new natures and that you are working in us that which is pleasing in your sight. And Lord, I pray if there are any here who have heard this hard word that you would, by your spirit, guide them into all truth. For others who are currently separated, cut off from Christ, I pray that this morning you would draw them, that you would get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.